And now, here they are, the Beatles! Hi, I'm Justin Shears, and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser-known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. Uh, what do you know about the, the American, proposed American trip? Do you well, know it's where about going 14 to? different places we're going to. Yeah. We've got an hour's holiday in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere that you played on the last trip? Yeah, yeah, I think so, like New York, Los Angeles. You're doing Shea Stadium again? Um, oh. yeah. yeah, and... In fact, most of the places are the same. You know, the main oh, big yeah, places we've yeah. been to. Because yeah. some of the audience couldn't get out from last time, <laughs> they're still in there. <laughs> so we're doing the return show. You were watching all that baseball. What a drag. <laughs> well, yeah. it's, no, no, it's quite a good game. Is it? Baseball. Americans like it. <laughs> Just in case they're listening <laughs> over there. Oh, we heard they are. Jolly God. Well, I'm yeah. sorry to say I shan't be coming this time. Oh, why, Bri? Oh, it's too busy. Aren't you coming? No, I'm. Yes, well, that's well, it. Well, you should have seen him last time, readers. Yes. With his pink spotted <laughs> shirts on. <laughs> Out all night at the clubs. Yes. Learning baseball. Well, <laughs> the best club was in the plane, though. Is it? You're going to travel the same way this time? Yeah, yeah I suppose yeah. we'll have to. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody takes off before you get off the ground. It's a very good trip. Well, well, uh, well uh, it was for you. We were busy. <laughs> Right, well, I hope you have a nice time. Thanks. Well, thanks, thanks Brian. Thanks very much, Brian. Yeah. See, See you then. It's been a wonderful. Well, can we All go right then? then? Yes. Yeah, well, we'll, okay. just, we'll just go. Just coming home, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Charlie. Come on, Charlie. Let's Here go. We go. You tell a thing and I can't see. You can't cry because you're laughing at me. I'm down. I'm really down. I'm down. Down on the ground. Yeah. I'm down. 1966 was very much a landmark year for the Beatles. Unlike every other year since 1963, they had only produced one album, a clue that they were taking considerably more time and much greater care with the recording process than ever before, and that EMI were allowing them to do so. Their live appearance at the NME Poll Winners concert in London on the 1st of May would be their last ever official concert in the UK. And while it was recorded for television, a contractual dispute meant that it would never be televised. A three-country tour of Germany, Japan and the Philippines famously ended very badly in Manila, with all four Beatles vowing never to return. Only a month after returning from the Philippines, Revolver was unleashed and turned the music world on its head. The Beatles included none of its songs in their set list, mainly due to the impossibility of faithfully recreating them on stage. Come August, the Beatles boarded the plane for what would be their last ever visit to the United States. Sadly, there are very few good quality recordings from this final tour. Most existing material stems from fan recordings from handheld microphones and tape recorders or snippets from television news coverage. But one precious tape does exist. A recording of the Beatles' last ever concert for a paying audience at Candlestick Park, San Francisco on the 29th of August 1966. Before the show, press officer Tony Barrow was instructed to capture the show on cassette from his vantage point in front of the stage. Thankfully, he did as requested, and it is these recordings which will form the musical backbone of this episode. Having had their trip to the Philippines marred by controversy, the latest tour would also not begin well. Now, the only reason why I am here, actually, is, is, is in an attempt to clarify uh, the situation and the general furore which has arisen here. And I have prepared a statement, which I will read, which has had John Lennon's absolute approval this afternoon uh, with myself by telephone. Uh, and this is as follows. The quote which John Lennon made to a London columnist more than three months ago has been quoted and represented entirely out of context. Lennon is deeply interested in religion and was at the time having serious talks with Maureen Cleave, who is both a friend of the Beatles and a representative for the London Evening Standard. The talks were concerning religion. Uh, what he said and meant was astonished that in the last 50 years, the church in England, and therefore Christ, 
had suffered a decline in interest. He did not mean to boast about the Beatles' fame. He meant to point out that the Beatles' effect appeared to be, to him, a more immediate one upon certainly the younger generation. The article, which was in depth, was highly complimentary to Lennon as a person and was understood by him and myself to be exclusive to the Evening Standard. It was not anticipated that it would be displayed out of contact and in such a manner as it was in an American teenage magazine. And in these circumstances, John is deeply concerned and regrets that people with certain religious beliefs should have been offended in any way whatsoever. John had been interviewed by columnist Maureen Cleave for the London Evening Standard back in March and had made comments relating to the decline of church attendance in Britain. The article garnered little attention when published in context at the time, including John's assertion that even the Beatles were more popular among younger people than going to church. It was only when these same comments were picked up and published in isolation by US teen magazine that it all went horribly wrong. A furor of the kind which had not been part of the Beatles' script until this point erupted in the US, prompting angry responses and reactions, especially in the Bible Belt states. With their US tour imminent, the Beatles and Brian Epstein went into damage control, trying to give some context back to John's statements. It didn't work. Well, hi, everybody. This is Tommy Charles on the air here at WAQY Radio in Birmingham, Alabama. We've got music for you on a beautiful Thursday afternoon. Tommy, why this violent reaction to what John Lennon said? Well, I wouldn't call exactly what I have uh, done a violent reaction. However, uh, the Beatles for a long time have been able to, because of their tremendous popularity throughout the world, especially with the younger set, have been able to uh, say whatever they wanted to without any regard for judgment or maturity or the wisdom of it. And no one yet has challenged them to any tremendous degree where it might count or where they might feel it. Wasn't this a challenge like this though? Wasn't this a serious article asking John Lennon how he felt about things? Wasn't he just being honest? I suppose. You never can tell about him. His answers are so flippant. It would be the same as if uh, an American group uh, such as myself or an American singing group sounded off on the Queen and really took her to task and said who needs her and she's on her way out and uh, the system of having a king and a queen is uh, ridiculous and it's uh, shrinking and going to fade. Tommy, you're quoted as saying that though you're 36, you think like a teenager. Did you find your teenage listeners backed you up on your stand? They did. For three hours, uh, our three phone lines lit up and they responded and they said, uh, get rid of the Beatles, ban the records, uh, let's burn them or do something with them. And uh, we acted, uh, of course, on our own convictions, but we were backed up by the people, especially the younger people of this area. Brian Epstein wanted to know when we were going to take the ban off because it seemed that everybody was waiting for us to make the move. And I, they want to know what it would take. And I said, well, I don't have a price. It's not something that I'm waiting for the Beatles to do. I just don't know. I want, to, I want them to make me change my mind about them. I want, to, I, want to see a, well, I want to see them grow up a little bit, I guess. Calls for Beatle bands and even mass burnings of records and merchandise erupted over the airwaves in the U.S., with Birmingham, Alabama DJ Tommy Charles leading the charge. The backlash was considerable and worried the Beatles and Brian Epstein that their time in the US might end up like Manila. Interviewed at London Airport on the day of their departure, the Beatles tried to take a more upbeat approach. Hello John, are you uh, looking forward morning. to the tour? Yes. Now this religious controversy, I know you don't want to say too much about it, but does it worry you that it's going to boil up when you get to the States? Well it worries me, yes, but I, I hope everything will be alright in the end as they say. Do you think this is going to be a controversial tour like the Philippines was? Oh, no, no. No, it's going to be fine. What makes you say that, Paul? Oh, it'll be fine. You watch. Yeah, great. Brian Epstein had travelled ahead of the Beatles to try to smooth the waters for them. But upon their arrival in Chicago on the 11th of August 1966, there was only one question on the local media's lips. Can we take the first question, please? Mr. Lennon, we've been hearing a great deal of interpretations of your comment regarding uh, the Almighty Jesus. Could you tell us what you really meant by that statement? Uh, I was 
I'll, I'll try and tell you. I was sort of deploring the attitude. The, the thing, I wasn't saying whatever they were saying I was saying, anyway. That's the main thing about it. And uh, I was just talking to a reporter, but she also happened to be a friend of mine and the rest of us. At home, it was a sort of in-depth series she was doing. And so I wasn't really thinking in terms of PR or translating what I was saying. It was going on for a couple of hours, and I just said it as just to cover the subject, you know. And it really meant what, you know, I didn't mean it the way they said it. That's amazing. It's just so complicated. It's gone out of hand, you know. But I just meant it as that, that the Beatles, uh, I wasn't saying the Beatles are better than Jesus or God or Christianity. I was using the name Beatles because I can use them easier. And I was using, you know, because I can talk about Beatles as a separate thing and use them as an example, especially to a close friend. But I could have said TV or cinema or anything else that's popular or motor cars are bigger than Jesus. But I just said Beatles because, you know, that's the easiest one for me. I just never thought of repercussions. I never really thought of it. I wasn't even thinking, even though I knew she, she was interviewing me. But she was going to, you know, it meant anything. What's your reaction to the repercussions? Well, when I first heard it, I thought, well, it can't be true. It's just one of those things like uh, bad eggs in Adelaide and things. And then when I <laughs> realized it was serious, I was worried stiff. Hey, this jockey in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, who really started the uh, most of the repercussions, has uh, demanded an apology from you. He can have it, you know. I apologise to him if it, if he's upset and he really means it. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said it, really, for the mess it's made. But I never meant it as as a lousy or anti-religious thing or anything. You know, and I can't say any more than that. There's nothing else to say, really. You know, no more words. But if, if an apology, if he wants one, I'll, you know, he can have it. I apologise to him. When it came out in England, a few people wrote into the papers and a few wrote back saying, so what, he said that, who is he anyway? Or they said, so he can have his own opinion. And then it just vanished, it was very small. When it gets over here and then it's put into a, a kid's magazine and just part of it or whatever was put in, it just loses its meaning or its context. I read something recently that if you were... Never said it. Hearing <laughs> <laughs> about the Beatles being brought down, certain people were interested in getting the Beatles over with. Oh, I don't know. I think that's a bit of a one that, you know, I don't really know about that story, honestly. If we were slipping, there's lots of people that clap hands, Daddy, come home. But I don't know because they never show themselves until that time arises when it's ripe for them. Do you feel you are slipping? We don't feel they're slipping. Our music's better. Our sales might be less. So in no, our no, view, we're not slipping, you know. How many years do you think you can, you can go on? Have you thought about that? It doesn't matter, you know. The thing is... You know, we just, just try and go forward. And the thing is, if we do slip, it doesn't matter, you know. I mean, so what? You know, we slip. And so we're not popular anymore. So we'll be your son popular, won't we? You know, we'll be like we were before, maybe. Do you think this current controversy is hurting your career? It's not helping it. Despite several attempts to clarify his comments... John was still the target for multiple questions about the article, and it was in a second press conference in Chicago that he provided the most often repeated statement about the whole affair. Well, originally I was, I was pointed out that fact in reference to England, that we meant more to kids than Jesus did, or religion at that time. I wasn't knocking it or putting it down, I was just saying it as a fact. And it sort of, it is true more for England than here. You know, I'm not saying that we're better or greater or comparing us with Jesus Christ as a person or God as a thing or whatever it is. You know, I just said what I said and it was wrong or was taken wrong and now it's all this.
Thank you very much, everybody. And hello. Good evening. The Chicago and Detroit shows went off without a hitch, albeit without the capacity crowds they had enjoyed on previous visits. It was in Cleveland, Ohio, that the show was stopped during the fourth song, Day Tripper, when about 2,500 fans invaded the field, just as they had done in 1964. Journalist Ken Douglas was on hand to capture what ensued. This is Ken Douglas reporting. From the Cleveland Stadium, there's been absolutely riots. The crowds have gone berserk, and we've managed to get the Beatles in safely. And we, I'm sure the whole show's going to stop now. The police couldn't control them. They broke the barriers. And very luckily, we managed to get the boys inside after a tremendous, tremendous riot here. We're still... I ask you all the young people to get back in their seats. The whole place went wild here, broke the barriers, came through the police cordon. We managed to get the beers off the stage. They were even all over the stage. Luckily, we can actually say that they were, none of them were hurt. None of the Beatles were hurt. Ringo leapt from the top of the drums into the arms of some of our officials that are traveling with us. And I'm sure that some of the equipment has been has been broken. We don't know whether they'll carry on with the show or not. They're settling down a little now. They're being told to go back to their seats. I never even expected to see it get get calm again. The field is beginning to clear. We do hope they're able to keep them under control and no one else will get hurt. After about 30 minutes, order was restored and the Beatles returned to the stage to finish their set. Here they come, the Beatles again, for a second time to do their concert here the Stevie Cleveland Stadium. And the crowd are roaring, you can hear them. And I do hope they're able to complete their whole concert. They're under control once more, they're back in their seats. They've been told that if they move out of their seats over the barrier, they will be stopping the whole concert here this evening. Ringo is safe and sound. They all look fine. I don't think the Beatles got hurt, but there were a few young teenagers hurt here tonight. fantastic show. I must say, the crowd rushing the Beatles meant them no harm. It was just an emotional show of Beatlemania, which proves the fans still love the Beatles. The nation's capital, Washington, D.C., was next, seen with the first ever Beatles U.S. concert in February 1964. Among questions about a perceived dwindling of popularity and entertaining the troops in Vietnam, the local media still pressed John about his bigger-than-Jesus comments with some in the press pack showing a bit more understanding of the context of John's words. Well, it's not over nothing now because it is something. There weren't as many people upset as I was led to believe. I'm not so seriously upset. you figure that this is one of the reasons you haven't been drawing as well on this trip? Nothing to do with it. I don't think it's anything to do with it. I don't think we're drawing any less than we expected, whether this had started or not. Not really. Gentlemen, care to comment on the fact that the Ku Klux Klan is one of the tonight because... <laughs> well, you know, there's nothing to say about them. Uh, Mr. Klan, what do you think of the remark that people have been saying that you made the remark about Jesus to get publicity for your night? Well, that, that is the one of the most stupid versions of it. Is that... I mean, that's not a publicity stunt at all. Yeah. They don't need that publicity. Not like that. Yeah. I wouldn't like to go near Vietnam. Uh, many uh, prominent church leaders say the church is an institution, an organization that's going to die for completely change. Uh, is this the 
type of thing you had in mind, or do you think this is going to happen? I think that it ought to happen, or it should happen, or it will change the wrong way for them. Well, you, you know. It should happen. Though. It should happen. It should change, you know. But it changes. And well, it's good that they've noticed. Gentlemen, other than John Lennon, do you think Mr. Lennon's religious comment had anything to do with your audience attendance? No. 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 I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what he thinks about religion or what any of us thinks, really, to us. It happens to matter to other people, you know, and we've, we've, we've learned that bit. The audiences are not little, you know. I don't know what papers you're reading, but, you know, ask the promoters what tickets are selling. The audiences are big and fine enough for us. George was also asked what he thought about where the Beatles were as a live band. And he was brutally honest. The reaction has been different than it's changed. In fact, how I can see our career now, it's gone through almost through a complete change. From when we first started in Germany, we were very much more popular with with the lads than with the girls. And slowly we built up a following. We used to play good on stage. We used to, you know, we were really swung together in the old days. The more fame and that we got, the more people who came about to see us. And it got into the time when there was just thousands of girls everywhere and everybody making a noise and so that nobody could hear us anyway. So over the last two years, nobody's heard us on stage. So consequently, our performances have deteriorated to such an extent now that, you know, really our stage shows are terrible. But, you know, they can't hear it and we can't hear it. That's why it's terrible. And now I've got the feeling that there's lots of the girls are dropping off and there's more of the lads coming back in, especially since our last two albums. We'd like to carry on with a song, not surprisingly, by, uh, written by George and recorded by Paul And the song was on our uh, Rubber Soul LP. And the song is called, If I Needed uh, Someone.
We'd like to carry on now. Uh, carry on together. At will. One together and all for one. With another number that used to be a single record back in... Uh, long time ago. And this one's about the naughty lady called Jade Tripper. Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, PA, and Toronto, Canada all enjoyed their tastes of the Beatles over the next few days. Fellow Liverpool DJ and future friend of the group Kenny Everett was on hand in Boston, Massachusetts to interview a young audience member who was just about to jump the barriers and up onto the stage during the last song of the evening. Here's what happened. What's your name? I'm John Levinsky. And you're a local here? Yeah, I'm from um, more than Mass. And you're going to leap up on stage right yeah. at this moment? Yeah, I'll try. Okay, there he goes. He's going to leap up now. He's on stage, and he's got hold of John. He's got hold of Paul. Now he's getting George. They've got him off stage right now. They've pushed, they've pushed him off. And he's been grabbed by all the police. What an interview. Woohoo! I bet this is an exclusive. They've got him by the legs and arms. And they're taking him off right now. He's being bundled in a police car. <laughs> Oh boy, it's all happening tonight, friends, in Boston. Amidst the usual mayhem of Beatles concerts, it was at Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee, where the Beatles had their first real scare of the tour. Partway through If I Needed Someone, someone decided to let off a cherry bomb firecracker thrown from the balcony above. The Beatles momentarily looked around to see if one of them had been shot, such was the heightened senses associated with the threats from those offended by John's comments, including the Ku Klux Klan. After all, 
It had only been two and a half years since President Kennedy had been assassinated. The moment was caught on tape by a fan in the audience. The Beatles hardly missed a beat. Four fans were injured and two teenagers, a boy and a girl, were arrested with nearly 50 of the offending items in their possession. Yet another nail in the Beatles' touring coffin. Crossley Field in Cincinnati presented yet another challenge, this time beyond the control of any human. Torrential rain fell on the evening of the 21st of August, just before showtime. At an indoor venue, this wouldn't have been a problem However, on a baseball infield, with no cover over the stage, the downpours onto guitar amplifiers and sound equipment could be fatal to those attached to them, a chance that the Beatles weren't willing to take. The 15,000 fans who had sat in the rain for three hours, waiting for the decision to postpone the show until the following afternoon was made, went home wet and very unhappy. Only 12,000 returned the next day. Thank you. 
St. Louis was next, followed by New York City, and a return to Shea Stadium, where just 12 months prior, the Beatles had been on top of the world. A roving reporter interviewed fans, almost all of them teenagers, as the concert was in progress, capturing some of the hysteria which was still present at a Beatles show, as well as some interesting observations. Are you hysterical yet? this time than last time. A lot less. A lot less, man. They used to break the microphone. <laughs> what? They used to charge the platform. They couldn't hold them back. There used to be too many to hold back. My sister went when they were at Forest Hills. She said she couldn't hear anything, but they were so loud. They're not popular as they were before. That's why they didn't scream as much. Tell me what's happening down there. A kid just jumped on the field and they can't get them off. The place. They can't stop them. They're coming all over. If all these fans ever charge, they never hold them back. Mostly the boys are jumping on the field now. The girls are standing in their seats. The boys are going crazy. The boys just want to be a big hit to the girlfriends. That's all. So they yeah. the boys who just jumped in. About three girls and about eight boys. What would they do if they got up to them anyway? What would they do if they got to them? They just sit there and act stupid. I thought that was Girl Scouts, they're woman cops. Can you describe to me the way you feel about them? I love them, they're beautiful. They're the greatest thing that the world has ever heard. I'm atypical. I'm an atypical Beatle fan. I, uh, I think that they're writing some very good music. It's unfortunate that you can't hear it over the screaming, but they're doing some fine things. And I think... Um, Indicative of that is the fact that Fiedler has done some things with the Boston Pops, which is very interesting. A lot of their music has been done by him and they're doing a good job. I enjoy it very much. And I'm a 38-year-old Beatles fan. So. Are, you, are you here to listen to music or just to, to have a lot of fun shouting? We didn't pay 575 for nothing. You think the crowd might overflow under the field? No sense in it now. They're gone. Oh, they're gone. Well, they've gone off the field now. Is that the end of the show? Yeah, yeah. they're gone. I hope next year they make it longer. I have to. Yeah. The Beatles flew across the continent, landing in Los Angeles on the 24th of August for the West Coast leg of the tour. The obligatory press conference at Capitol Records Tower showed that not only had the Beatles regained a bit of their customary spark, but had also begun to be less defensive and apologetic about John's Jesus comments. Maybe we can um, start another controversy here. One of your countrymen was here yesterday or the day before, before he returned to England, or on his arrival in England. He said he thought uh, American women were out of style for not wearing mini skirts, and that they're, because they didn't wear mini skirts, their legs were ugly. Uh, I'd like to ask you what you think about American women's legs. Well, if they He's don't wear mini skirts, how does he know their legs are ugly? Will <laughs> be. <laughs> My question is directed at all of you. Do you think this, uh, this controversy has hurt your careers or has helped you professionally? Obviously, you're quite aware of it. It hasn't helped or hindered it, I don't think. I think most sensible people took it for what it was. And it was only the um, bigots that took it up and thought it was, you know, on their side. They thought, ha-ha, here's something to get them for. But when they read it, uh, they saw that, you know, there was nothing wrong with it, really. It's just that they thought that by us saying, uh, by John saying that we were more popular than Jesus, they thought, ah, you know, he's bound to be arrogant. And did you see the fellow on telly last night? He said it. Tonight, sure. John, what stimulates you in your work? That's <laughs> <laughs> just anything, you know. And also, what's your favorite group in the US? Favorite what? Group in the United States. I've got a few, you know, birds, spoonful, mamas and papas, I suppose. Beach on that side of it. Beach and boys. miracles, etc. on the other side of it. 
Fred Paul from KASK. First of all, I'd like to say hi to you all again. It's hi, really Fred. good to see hi. you. And so, <laughs> go on, Brad. I'd like go to on, ask a question that you've never been asked before. Oh, no. oh. What are you going to do when the bubble bursts? Oh, <laughs> so, well, Fred. You know, that's well, a personal Fred. in joke. He used to ask it at every press conference we went to, to keep the party going. Do you think we'll have another tour again next year? Ask Could be, Brian. Fred. Could, Could be. be. Brian does that. Thank you very much. He does a lot okay, of it, Fred. Right? <laughs> Outside in Hollywood tonight, you had to arrive in an armored truck, and the truck was swarmed by adoring fans. What is the situation wherever you go? Do you ever have a, uh, an opportunity to walk out in the street without being recognized? Or can you walk into a, a theater to see a movie by yourself? If you what go and the lights are down, you can go in. We can do that in England. It's easier in England than it is here. And it's mainly because we know England better. It'd also be easier to do it if we were on tour, you know. Because we're on tour, people know where we are, that's why we have a crowd. Oh, is that I'm wearing that John, did you ever meet Cass of the Mamas and Papas? Yes, and she's great, and I'm seeing her tonight. <laughs> good. Yeah, she's good. What has been your most memorable occasions, and what has been the most disappointing? Mm. Well, no you know, there's so many. <laughs> I think Manila was the most disappointing. <laughs> yeah. And mm. the most exciting yet to come. I'd like to direct this question to George Harrison, if I may. Mm. What's your uh, new address? <laughs> <laughs> George, uh, before you left England, you made a statement that um, uh, you were going now to America to be beaten up by Americans. Uh, do, you, do you mean to say in so many words that you feel that the American fan is more a hostile fan? No, not Britain, at all. Or a more enthusiastic Actually, fan? Actually, I, I said that when we arrived back from Manila. They said, what are you going to do next? And I said, we're going to rest up before we go and get beaten up over there. Merely beaten up is just... To, really, we just get sort of shoved around a bit. Jostled. Jostled around in cars yeah, and joke, planes. Really. So, you know, that's all it is. Well, do you think that's more an enthusiastic fan than a hostile fan, would you say? I think uh, there's definitely more enthusiastic fans. I but if anyone we have beat us up, it's not the fans, is it? Yeah, the fan thing, I think, they proved it themselves, you know, after this. We found out that there are a lot of fans who are great. Mm. And all the ones we lost, I think, we don't really mind anyway. Because if they can't make up their minds, who needs them? Thank you. Mr. Lennon, is it true you're planning to give up music for a career in the field of comparative religion? No. <laughs> is that another of the jokes going on? I'm sure you've all heard of the many beetle burnings and beetle bonfires. And you I was wondering, it. do you think American girls are fickle? All girls are fickle. Well, the photos we saw of them were a sort of middle-aged DJs and 12-year-olds burning a pile of LP covers. Two days off in Los Angeles were followed by two shows in Seattle before flying back south again to Los Angeles and hanging out with the likes of Joan Baez, David Crosby, Mama Cass Elliot, Roger McGuinn, and Brian and Carl Wilson, before playing Dodger Stadium on the evening of the 28th. A disastrous decision by the promoters to have the Beatles leave by limousine, which only drew the attention of hundreds of fans, saw the Beatles hastily transferred into an armoured car at a nearby petrol station. Another close call for the Fab Four. Thank you. I'd like to carry on with a song from yesterday and today. And this one was a single as well. And it features Paul singing a very nice song called Yesterday.
very much, everybody. Thank you. And it's a, it's a bit chilly. We'd like to do the next number now, which is a special request for all the wonderful backroom boys on this tour. Uh, the song is called I Want to Be a Man to Sing It. private jet flew the Beatles to San Francisco for the last show of the tour. Walking on stage at Candlestick Park at 9.27pm, 25,000 fans witnessed the last ever Beatles concert before a paying audience. We'd like to do another song now from our BBC album, and this one's called He's a Real Nowhere Man Sitting in his Nowhere He's a real
think. Not really sure yet. I'd like to carry on. Certainly. Definitely. Well, should we just watch this a little for a bit? Just watch it. The next song is called Paperback Writer. this stage of the tour, the performances were more polished and the banter between songs was loose. After nearly half an hour on stage, Paul stepped up to the microphone to announce the last song, which for the last two years had been I'm Down. Thank you very much everybody, everybody, wonderful, physical, butchered. Uh, we'd like to say that um, it's been wonderful being here. This wonderful sea air. Sorry about the weather. And we'd like to ask you to join in and uh, clap, sing, talk. Thanks. Go on. Do anything. Anyway, the song is good luck. And that was it. The recording of the last song ever performed by the Beatles in concert was cut short because the 30-minute cassette tape ran out, the latest in a long line of mishaps. Crowd sources confirm that the song was indeed completed and John even began to play the opening bars of In My Life. Aware of the significance of the moment, after taking their final bows, the Beatles set up a camera on top of a guitar amplifier and took a timed photograph of themselves on stage for one last time. Then it was off to the waiting armoured car to leave the stadium. It was over. Another important relic of this night is Paul's handwritten set list, taped to the shoulder of his Hofner bass guitar, which is still preserved there to this day. Brian, how does this tour compare with last year's? Uh, we're phenomenal, actually. It's much better all round. From the point of view that there's much more interest, uh, and actually we're, pay we're playing to bigger audiences. 
than we've ever played to. Uh, and this probably might sound a bit odd because people have been saying, you know, things about diminishing popularity and so on. But uh, all that, you know, one can go by is what, what uh, sort of attendances we're getting at the concerts, and they're absolutely huge. I think that by the time we leave here, the boys will have been seen by about 400,000 people. Generally, it's how much of a good thing can you have? How long can you sustain things? And we'd, every tour we'd gone, just gone great, just gone marvellous, but we were getting a bit fed up anyway, just because we've been at it so long, and it gets grueling, and you, another holiday in after another, you know, you know that, we all know that one. And just the general Beatlemania was, um, you know, it took its toll, and also because we were seeing it then from as no longer as like a naive kind of, you know, just on the buzz of, of our fame and success, you know, by this time, I mean, the dental experience had, you know, it kind of made us see it from a different light, and it was no longer fun anymore. I don't think anyone didn't want to stop touring. Probably Paul would have gone on longer than George and I. But you'll have to ask Paul about that. Oh, no, you know, touring's good, and it keeps us sharp, and we need touring, and musicians need to play. You know, I'd keep music live. I'd been sort of a bit that attitude. But finally, I agreed with them, you know, and it was like, oh, you were right, you know. I think it was George and John who were particularly against it, uh, particularly got fed up. We might have been waxworks for all, for all, you know, what the good we did there. You know, nobody heard anything, or not even, you know, a basic beat, I don't think. They were too busy tearing each other up. We were just tired, you know. It had been, uh, how many, four years for us of legging around, you know, screaming in this mania. You know, we were tired, we needed to rest. By the time we got to Candlestick Park, I think we'd, we knew now, yeah, sure, you know, this wasn't, uh, this wasn't fun anymore. I think that was the main point. And, you know, we'd, we'd always tried to keep, you've got to really try and keep some fun in it for yourself in anything you do, you know. And we'd been pretty good at that. We'd enjoyed touring, then we'd enjoyed doing a bit of TV, we'd enjoyed Europe, we'd enjoyed America, wow. But now even America was beginning to pale, you know, because of these conditions you've mentioned and the fact that we'd done it so many times. So by then it was like, yeah, well, don't tell anyone, but this is probably our last gig. Yeah, see, there was big talk at Candlestick Park about that very period about, you know, this has got to end, this is it. But my... Uh, I, we went on further than that. We got back to in England before we finally said, that's it. I certainly felt that that was it, you know, that we weren't going to tour again like that. I never really projected into the future. I was just thinking this is going to be such a relief to, you know, to, to not have to go and go through that madness. I don't remember having a negative feeling about the band, but about touring. But you always forget the bad bits anyway. So I generally, about the band, remember it being quite good. No, I'm just sorry for the people who can't see us live. You know, sometimes you haven't missed anything because you, you wouldn't have heard us, but sometimes I think you might have enjoyed it. I'm sorry for that. After four years and 1,400 concerts as John, Paul, George and Ringo, the Beatles would not play publicly again until their impromptu rooftop appearance in London in January 1969. The various pressures of touring over this time had taken a heavy toll, and the Beatles wanted to immerse themselves more in the creative process of writing and recording, and regaining the musicianship they felt they had lost, something they had recently begun to rediscover with Revolver. The rest, as they say, is history. Well, that's it for this episode. Next time, we dive deep into the song which would become a psychedelic Beatles masterpiece and follow it from its birth as a series of home demos to its final stunning form in Abbey Road Studios. Until next time, 